Hello there and welcome into this edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First, you'll be hearing from Ann Graham Lotz. She is involved in leadership for an event originating from Washington, D.C. in September called The Return. You'll be hearing her comments about this opportunity for God's people to come before Him in repentance. Then Shar Fontan Westfall's first husband was killed in Afghanistan, an event that challenged her faith and temporarily caused her to stray from her faith in God. But she returned to him, remarried, and shares with those who have lost their spouses in service to our country. Learn more ahead. Plus, Chris Murphy, in addition to service as director of the Department of Public Safety for the city of Montgomery and state of Alabama, was an agent in the U.S. Secret Service. He has served in that capacity and serves the Lord. You'll find out more about his devotion to God and his career in law enforcement ahead. And on this edition of The Intersection, Damon Friedman of SOF Missions visited with me recently. He has served his country in the U.S. military and is passionate about training and encouraging leaders. You'll be hearing some of his comments on effective leadership ahead. Also across America, there continue to be reports of areas that have seen dramatic increases in the number of coronavirus cases. Bible prophecy expert Mark Hitchcock has some insight into the crisis and how it may or may not be tied into Bible prophecy. Finally, you'll meet Jonathan Jakabowski, who has been deeply involved in matters of policy. He's intent on speaking to millennials in order to encourage them to allow a Christian worldview perspective to govern their choices in political matters. Find out about how heart change can be a key to effective involvement ahead. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Ann Graham Lotz of Angel Ministries is the daughter of the late Billy Graham. She has a heart to share God's Word and to call Christian believers to a right relationship with Jesus. She is part of the advisory committee for The Return, a global and national day of repentance coming up September 26th, originating from Washington, D.C., In a recent conversation, she discussed the importance of repentance in the life of our nation. Here now is Anne Graham Lotz. Well, I believe he wants us to return to him, whether we do it on the mall or whether we do it in the privacy of our bedrooms. You know, we we need to return to God. And he tells us in Joel chapter 2, when Joel um, was prophesying and describing uh, an attack on the nation of uh, his nation, Israel, Judah, that was going to be unlike anything that had ever happened before. In fact, he says, nobody's ever seen this before. But then he says in chapter 2, he said, if you will return to the Lord, then then maybe the Lord would return to us. You know, if we would rend our hearts and not our garments. In other words, don't be superficial by giving lip service to repentance or just, you know, praying for God's blessing or confessing in sort of a superficial way. But, but if we would rend our hearts, that we would choose to just get down before God and with broken contrite hearts and plead for his help, then Joel says, who knows but that God would return and bless us. And we know that the Bible says if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And I would claim that for our nation. But the the verse that, you know, we talk about so often is from Second Chronicles seven fourteen, but verse 13, God says, when I send a plague to the nation, you know, then if my people, and I would assume that would be Christians and Jews, if my people who um, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their sinful ways, then he said, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll uh, hear their prayer, I'll heal their land. So, 
So we're just going on what God says. You know, it's just taking God at his word. I don't know anything else to do because we're in a desperate situation in our nation. There, it, and I, I believe, Bob, that our problem is not just political. And I know we have political problems, and it's not just racial, and I know we have racial problems, and it's not just social, and I know we have social problems. It's not just economic or health. Or, our, our real problem is spiritual and moral. And, and that's what the return addresses. It's going to the root of the problems in our nation, whether it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your background, what your experience. We all need to come to the foot of the cross, and we need to return to God with humility and repentance, asking for his blessing. Well, this is being described as a solemn assembly. That is a scriptural term here. What occurs from your knowledge of Scripture at a solemn assembly? Well, I pray it's a movement of the Spirit of God. You know, that's what Joel and that solemn assembly uh, mentioned in the Old Testament of the places in Joel, as I just um, read to you. But it's, it's um, we pray that at a solemn assembly where we're, um, you know, I don't want to put it in pious terms, but it's, it's just coming on our face before God and recognizing that if he doesn't bless us, we won't be blessed. If he doesn't give us a solution, there'll be no solutions. And we can look towards the election in November, but that just may be more upheaval and division and craziness uh, And if, if we don't have God. And, you know, the, it's interesting, Bob, um, George Washington is our first president. The first act that he did as president, he, he knelt down and he dedicated our nation to the glory of God. And our nation, in a unique sense, Israel would be the only other nation that would be similar. We're a covenant nation. We, we, we were committed to the glory of God from our inception. And God has taken that seriously. He's blessed us, and, and we have received his blessings, but increasingly we've taken credit for them, and we think it's because of our American know-how or because of our brilliance or whatever. And and when God removes his blessing, look at us. You know, we're disintegrating, and so we we need the blessing of God. We need him to come back into our midst, and and the Bible indicates that he will do that if we turn to him in sincerity of faith and plead with him to return to us as we return to him. So the passage is Joel chapter 2, and it tells us to blow the trumpet, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, and then it talks about who you gather. You gather the elders, the children, the babies, the grooms, the brides, the religious leaders, in other words, everybody. Yeah. You just invite everybody to come and plead with the Lord um, to return to us. And Graham Lotz here on The Intersection. You can find out more about The Return by going to the website, thereturn.org. Her ministry website is, and with an E, Graham Lotz, L-O-T-Z, dot org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Char Fontan Westfall. Her first husband, Jacques, a Navy SEAL, lost his life in battle in Afghanistan. In our conversation, she shared a portion of her own story and highlighted her personal Christian faith in the midst of her time of tragedy and grief. She has written the book, A Beautiful Tragedy, A Navy SEAL Widow's Permission to Grieve and Prescription of Hope. Here now from that conversation is Char Fontan Westfall. A friend of mine called and said, hey, we, we got word that there, you know, something happened. It, it does involve the teams we just don't know to what extent i just wanted you to hear that before you heard it from anybody else and just a pit in my stomach mm. 
um, was there and I just couldn't shake it. So then, um, unfortunately it was the day, the next day that, um, they showed up at my door. And like I said, I was hosting the dinner. And so I was very grateful that that is something we had all started and, and continued to do because then I was not alone as they came and, and talked to me and, and everything just first they came, said he was missing in action. And then it wasn't until the next day that they were able to confirm everything and had to come back and tell all of us that they had in fact um, died in the crash. Tell me about how your life changed at that point. Uh, so it, I always say I went from being like this 29-year-old wife to a 29-year-old widow. We had waited to have kids. And um, so I felt very alone. My whole future in my eyes had been ripped away from me. I remember immediately just questioning God. I, I grew up in the church. I grew up loving him and knowing him and having him as my Lord and Savior. But obviously, looking back now, I realized how young in my faith I was just because I was got angry and I didn't understand. I questioned what I did wrong. I mean, I had been in church on Sunday praying for him and then literally, you know, two, three days later, I'm getting the news that he's gone. And so it was, it was a, a really hard first year and even a little bit into the second, just because I spent the first year just really sad, really angry. I tried to act like I was okay, but I was still just had so many questions and so much pain. And um, I, I turned away from God. I mean, I didn't completely just you know, disown him and, and stop believing, but I definitely was just had pulled away and was just trying to protect myself and do things on my own. And uh, quickly, I guess not quickly, but it took me about a year before I realized, okay, you're, you're obviously not doing it very well on your own. You need to think about going back to him. And so that's when I went and spoke to somebody in the church and started seeking counseling through them and getting some questions answered and some help that way. And I'm glad I did. <laughs> well, as you began to really reconnect, if you will, with God, like you say, you never did completely step away, but because that was such a difficult time period, your your relationship was not what it had been. So talk about that renewal process. Um, well, just my, I've remarried and um, have a wonderful husband. And in that time, we had become friends. And he was a strong encourager for me to, to go back and just listen to the word and be present and not necessarily like, you know, I'm not saying you have to stand up and be joyful and give constant praise, but let's just start opening your heart and your mind to hearing him again and hearing his, his message. And through the counseling, there was a question that was answered for me because people just kept saying, oh, well, I mean, you must be really strong. God only gives things like this to people who are strong and who can handle it. And I think in the beginning that added a lot to my my confusion and my anger because I was thinking, well, such a, a loving God, and then he picks and chooses who can handle something versus who can't. And um, then through the counseling, they say, you know, God actually never says that. He says he will never leave you. And I can look back now and see how he went before me and 
helped me and carried me and just was there every step of the way to get me through it. And even though I turned from him, he never turned from me. And so that has helped me and that helps me go forward. And when I'm teaching my children and talking to them about God's love and his grace, um, that's just a huge part of, of my journey and how I was able to reconnect and start opening my heart and my mind back to him again. Char Westfall here on The Intersection. She can be found on Instagram at Char, C-H-A-R, Westfall. That's W-E-S-T-F-A-L-L. Former director of the Department of Public Safety for the state of Alabama and city of Montgomery, Chris Murphy, with 40 years of law enforcement experience and over half of that in the U.S. Secret Service, offered reflections on his law enforcement career and his service to the Lord in a recent conversation. He's written a book called In His Majesty's Secret Service. From that conversation, this is Chris Murphy now. It is a challenge, and, and for me as a Christian, it was certainly taking the scripture of do as everything as unto the Lord. And you have to trust the Lord. The Secret Service does an outstanding job of, of training. You do about six months of training, uh, and then you start with minor uh, protection assignments and, and you graduate up, but you'll have done two to three assignments before you ever get on uh, a major detail, presence or vice president's detail, things like that. And so there's a tremendous amount of training. There's a tremendous, tremendous amount of education and then practice. Um, <clears throat> but it can be very tense. Uh, there were times uh, doing the motorcade for the vice president in uh, Luxor, Egypt, and uh, they'd had a lot of terrorist attacks. Terrorists would come out of the the sugarcane fields and, and attack and um, because of bad communications and some things, a number of things that happened, um, our motorcade was stopped in, in one of those fields and that was, that was very tense. So you do a lot of praying and um, you, you rely on your training, um, but you, you have to kind of give it to the Lord and, and trust your training and, and do your job. But uh, it, it is very, it can be very stressful, but it's also a wonderful um, experience, you know, a wonderful time today, and you learn a lot of things. Like uh, I used to talk to some groups about um, the importance of our earpieces that, you know, kind of the iconic earpieces that are, are we're listening to and talking into our sleeves, and how important that communication is in protecting and uh, understanding that how the, all the pieces work together and, and communicating that. But it's kind of like our prayer life, you know, you need to, to not only hear what uh, speaking to your sleeve to talk to God, but you need to hear what he's saying by keeping your earpiece in. And, uh, you know, I, I saw a lot of analogies as, as a Christian and how we did that and, and how we did our job as, as a Secret Service agent and uh, seemed to, to, to work well. You've written this book called In His Majesty's Secret Service, and someone might think, okay, so... He was in the Secret Service. He uses the phrase in his majesty's Secret Service. So kind of dissect that title for us, if you would. I will, Bob. That that was um, something that always kind of came to me. I I knew I was working most of my career in the U.S. Secret Service. But as a Christian, I always felt like I was working in his majesty's, his, his Secret Service. Or not even secret, just in his service. And I think that's what as Christians we're all called to do. And um, I, I, I tried to continue to, to play on that and work on that. I used Deuteronomy 33:26, where it says, "There is none like the God of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to your help, 
and through the skies in his majesty. That's kind of a key scripture phrase because there's so many times I record in the book and in my life that, that I felt God's help come to help me in, in times of personal tragedy, losing my sister and my dad and some other things that went on in my life, um, two times in, in the Secret Service or in Governor Riley's cabinet or Mayor Strange's cabinet. Um, and God was, was there to help me, but he never lost that majesty. And I think sometimes, you know, we all have um, that, that relationship with Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. But we don't need to lose focus that it, it is his majesty. It is, is God Almighty that, that we serve. And he certainly comes down out of, out of the skies to, to, to help me in my career. And I know he has helped so many of your listeners. Chris Murphy here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the publisher's website. It's pagepublishing.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more at meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast and The Meeting House program. The podcast can be found in the Media Center. You can also subscribe free via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. And a reminder, conversations from The Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Again, you can go to meetinghouseonline.info to learn more or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Continuing now with this edition of The Intersection, it's the co-founder of SOF Missions and author of the book, Igniting Movements, How Critical Factors and Special Ops Empower World Changers. Damon Friedman, a 20-year military veteran, highlighted principles of leadership that can lead to the development of effective movements. From that conversation, this is Damon Friedman now. The concept here is, is that uh, with the book, uh, Igniting Movements, is to empower people to help their communities during uncertain times. And so what we're trying to do is we want these organizational leaders that genuinely want to change the world for good, we want to provide a pragmatic uh, practices. It's like, hey, look, you know, a lot of nonprofits, a lot of organizations, a lot of groups are trying to go and in, in, in help their communities. Right now, particularly during these uncertain times, you know, th- uh, there, there's so much chaos happening and there are a lot of people looking for hope. And, there, and, and a lot of people have drive and a lot of people have faith. But for me, as an organizational leader, I'm telling people, look, it's awesome to have hope. It's awesome to have drive and it's awesome to have faith. But the fact of the matter is, is that you, it's not enough. You need to have a plan of attack, right? I mean, Sun Tzu was very clear, like, you know, you win and you lose before you even get to the battlefield. So in my book, I, I basically, out of my dissertation, my doctorate, uh, 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 all my research, my doctorate work um, that comes from my dissertation, it's uh, research of over 100 disciple-making movements. And I extract all the common critical factors that ignites a movement. And I developed a rubric with four major pillars, uh, visionary leadership, cohesive ideology, effective organizational stru- uh, structure, and powerful strategic messaging. And so what we do is we provide a model for building effective movements. We're inspiring people to come together under a singular vision to make the world 
a better place. And I'm super excited. It's coming out on the 4th of August, but it's available today on pre-order on Amazon. So I'm really passionate about this. This is my life's work. So like what I really am trying to do is if you're a leader out there, if you're a person that wants to lead, if you're a person that wants to make a change, this is the blueprint. This is the ingredients to, in order to empower you so that you can be very, very effective. And that's what this book is all about, igniting movements. Well, and if you had to describe a movement rather than just, say, an, an event, a singular event, or even an organization, what are some of the components of a movement as you see it? I think uh, a lot of it is inspiring your followers, right? So when we talk about leadership, people follow people. That's just the reality. And so there, in, in order for you to be a very effective leader, and I even highlight some of these common critical factors within these movements, you know, major attributes or characteristics of a leader. My ultimate one, which when reading the book, you'll find that humility is the most instrumental factor as a leader in order for followers to follow you. And then you move into ideology. How do you inspire your followers? What does it mean to have esprit de corps? What does, it have, what does it mean to have spiritual formation? How do you build and influence an ideological, uh, um, uh, the, the ideology so that people, regardless of the challenges before them, will persevere? Because here's the deal, right? The reality is just even the Christian faith. No matter what happens, we are taking action because we have a higher calling. We understand our position in the kingdom. So sometimes no matter how bad things get, you see this in martyrdom, you see this in their persecutions in third world countries, people continue to to move forward and be strong because of the faith, because the implications are eternal. So when we're talking about igniting a movement, the ideology factor, that's, that's the fire, that's the explosion. And then you go into other aspects of what does it mean to run an efficient organization? Those are the internal components of the organization. And strategy is the external output, the out- outward expression of what that movement looks like. It's the messaging. It's the communication. It's the contextualization. So a lot of it is very practical. And again, igniting movements, how common critical factors ignite a movement, how world changers can change the world for good. That's pretty much what the book is about. It's all about ingredients. You've got to have this stuff in your movement if you want it to be successful, not because Dr. Damon Friedman says so. It's because when you look at the hundred disciple-making movements or the hundreds of disciple-making movements out there in history and, and in today's society, this is what's in the sauce. Damon Friedman here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to Damon Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N.com. You can find out about the ministry of SOF Missions by going to sofmissions.org. Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Mark Hitchcock, Associate Professor at Dallas Theological Seminary and Senior Pastor of Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. In our recent conversation, he discussed the significance of the coronavirus and its possible connection to Bible prophecy, as he outlines in the book, Corona Crisis, Plagues, Pandemics, and the Coming Apocalypse. Here now from that conversation is Mark Hitchcock. Jesus, in in his final sermon that he gave, great sermon, uh, two days before he died on the cross, uh, Jesus said that in the in the uh, last times, in the end end of days, there'll be you know uh, famines, there'll be earthquakes, and he said there'll be pestilence um, in various places, and he called those birth pains. 
Um, then also over in the book of Revelation in chapter 6, uh, you have, and they're mentioned four horsemen. They're often called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The fourth of those horsemen is a pale horse, a pale rider. And it mentions there that a fourth of the earth will die uh, from sword, famine, pestilence, or plague, and the wild beasts of the earth. And so both of those passages, I believe, are referring to what's going to happen in the future in the time period known as the tribulation period. Um, so what we see today with, with COVID-19 is not the fulfillment of that, because we're not in the tribulation, I believe. But what we're seeing today, I think, is kind of a foreshadow or a foreshock, um, kind of a preview, a precursor, whatever words you want to use for what's coming in the future. And we're seeing how, you know, a, a, a virus like this can get around the world and be in 190 countries in just a sh very short period of time. So I think it's it's kind of a, a setup for you, for us, if you will. And, um, you know, I think maybe in many ways, maybe kind of a wake up call for what's coming. You know, my view is, is that the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. Um, Jesus is going to come, the, the, the bridegroom, and catch away his bride. And after that, a time of great tribulation is going to be poured out on the earth. Um, you know, the world's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Now, they'll ultimately get better. Uh, but in the short run, it's the, the world is headed for difficult times. That's what Jesus said. And uh, during that time of seven-year tribulation that will lead up then to the return of Jesus actually back to the earth, it, the rapture, we're going to get caught up and meet him in the air and go back to heaven. And then this tribulation will rage on earth. And um, at the second coming, we'll return with Jesus back to the earth. But during that time of tribulation, um, there's going to be a time of, of judgment and wrath of God on the earth. And one of the aspects of that is plagues or pestilence. And again, Jesus mentioned it in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, the, the accounts of the Olivet Discourse. That's often called the mini apocalypse. It's kind of a Reader's Digest version Jesus gave of the end times. And then again, it's mentioned in Revelation chapter 6. Uh, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, the pale rider, a fourth of the earth dies from sword, famine, pestilence. And then it says kind of cryptically there in the wild beasts of the earth. Now, a lot of people wonder, well, you know, why is that mentioned wild beasts or animals going to become kind of unrestrained and kill people or whatever? And I take it there since it's listed right next to plagues, that it could be plagues that come from animals. Hey, we're still in this crisis. How do we respond as believers? Well, I think, you know, I've got, got kind of three Ps that I think about a lot in my own life. I mean, the first one, I think, is just perspective. Uh, we need to maintain the perspective and remember that God's on the throne of this universe. It gets easy when things like this happen for it to kind of throw us. And, you know, we kind of wonder, you know, where is God in this? And, you know, God's where he's always been. You know, heaven has an occupied throne. And uh, we need to remember that and keep that perspective. We need to keep that really all the time in life, that God's on his throne in heaven. And uh, he's in control of what's happening. There's never panic in heaven. Uh, you know, the Trinity never meets an emergency session. Uh, you know, God's not up there pacing the floor wondering what's happening. God's in control of what's taking place. So I think that gives us great comfort in these times in which we live. I think another thing is prayer. We need to be praying for ourselves, pray for those who've contracted the virus, pray for our leaders. Um, you know, I read someone said that, uh, you know, God's probably heard from a lot of people here recently that he hasn't heard from in a while. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably true. You know, a lot of people are probably getting, dropping to their knees, praying a lot more than they used to in uh, these, these times we're facing. So, you know, prayer is a great, a great weapon that God has given to us, a great tool. And uh, we need to pray all the time, pray without ceasing. But especially in times like this, we need to be people of prayer. And I think another thing, just another P, a final one here, is just proclamation. We need to use this time, I think, to tell people about Jesus. I think people are maybe more open than they've been at other times. 
there's a lot of turmoil in our culture right now, a lot of turbulence out there. Um, a lot of people are unsettled, they're uncertain, or maybe even afraid of what's happening. And so I think we need to seize this opportunity to be, uh, to be bold witnesses for Christ. Again, we don't want to you know, make ourselves obnoxious to people, and uh, we want to use wisdom in what we do. But I think sharing the love of Jesus Christ, first of all, through our life and our witness, but then also with our lips uh, to share the good news of Christ. I think we need to seize this opportunity or, you know, maybe invite someone to your church um, who, who normally doesn't go, you know, and, and uh, just use this as a, an opportunity really to leverage this uh, for, the, for the sake of the gospel. Mark Hitchcock here on The Intersection. You can find him on Facebook under Dr. Dr. Mark Hitchcock. Author, commentator, and entrepreneur Jonathan Jakabowski joined me recently. He's been involved in local politics in Wood County, Ohio. He discussed how his Christian worldview applies to matters of policy and highlighted aspects of his book, Bellwether Blues, A Conservative Awakening of the Millennial Soul. From that conversation, this is Jonathan Jakabowski. I think we need to give an honest look at history. We need to recognize the times when America fell short, far short, of the ideals that are in the Declaration of Independence, far short of the principles that we know represent the the finest things that human beings can embrace of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When we've fallen short, we call it out. But we also need to recognize that there are things about America that are unprecedented, things about America that make her exceptional, things about America that have allowed her to flourish well beyond many of the nations of the earth. And by comparative measures, when you look at the idea of American exceptionalism, it's a comparative measure, a comparative metric. I've traveled the world. I've been to Central America. I've been to East Africa. I've been to Southeast Asia. I've been to India. I've been all over the world. And I've seen the devastation. I've seen the poverty. I've seen the trafficking of human lives and the many lives that have suffered as a result of systems that have been entirely broken down. And yes, there have been cases in America's history where there have been severe injustices. And we must fight to make sure that those those wrongs are righted. And we also must recognize that there have been cases where America has flourished and has allowed her citizens to advance unlike other nations throughout the year. Well, let's talk about, in fact, the subtitle of this book, The Millennial Soul. And and I remember conversations that I have had throughout the last year or so, an observation about those in that particular generation, the millennial generation, and the fascination that millennials seem to have with respect to socialism. We're seeing it actually played out in the streets of America where you have socialism sounds like a very mild word. And I know that there's some nuances between what you would call socialism and Marxism, but there seems to be this fascination with this whole socialistic point of view. What do you attribute that to? Well, I think it's, it's because socialism has not been taught um, accurately and correctly. If we recognize socialism for what it is, when you go into nations like Venezuela and Cuba, and you look at nations throughout the course of history that have, have brought forth these ideas, I and mean, a great example is like you know, the French of 1789 and the revolution that led to 18 more revolutions. When you look at nations where socialism has been effectively implemented, it's led to devastation, poverty, and chaos. But that's not how it has been taught in our educational systems, in media. It's been broad, broadly brushstroke as the system that is nice and flowery, and it's all about equality. So they, they haven't taught the truth of what socialism leads to, because ultimately socialism is an increase of power into the hands of a few people. And as you increase power into the hands of a few people, no longer does right, uh, does right, uh, excuse me, right make might, might makes right. 
And I think with millennials, they've begun to recognize this, uh, this idea of, of equality and wanting people to thrive and flourish, but they, they haven't been taught the other side of it. So what I see, Bob, is, is actually, yeah, there, there is this embrace of socialism amongst the millennial generation, but it's not the entire generation. Uh, there's a very major difference between the millennials that are on the coast of America and California and New York, the millennials that are in mainland America and states like Ohio, where I live. Millennials that have grown up maybe with some some semblance of structure and recognition of values, maybe some embrace of the recognition of patriotism. And the millennials in mainland America, and thankfully today we still have an electoral college, their votes matter significantly. Their perspectives matter significantly. And I think a lot of the millennials in mainland America, their voices are left out of the conversation because everybody's focused on all the radical voices of the coast. Jonathan Jakubowski joining me recently on the Meeting House program. You can learn more by going to the website Bellwether Blues Book. Now, please note that Bellwether is spelled Bell, B-E-L-L, Weather, W-E-T-H-E-R, bellweatherbluesbook.com. Well, we are nearing the conclusion of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more at meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. The podcast is available through the Media Center. You can also subscribe via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible through the Meeting House homepage. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content conversations for the meeting house can also be found through the faith radio app and a variety of podcast platforms again the meeting house webpage can be found at meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org thanks for joining me for this edition of the intersection podcast i'm bob crittenden